Hi, welcome to Chicana Code Switchers. Your co-hosts are Ariana and Patricia. We are both Chicanas in our master's program. We are also scholar practitioners in student affairs. This podcast is intended to provide insights into higher education with a focus on social justice and pláticas of student experiences. With that being said, let's start the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Chicana Code Switchers. I am our co-host, Patricia, and I'm with Ariana. Hello. So, Ariana, we haven't recorded in about a month or so. Um, so, what's been going on so far? Any new things? Um, yeah, so I have a job, <laughs> a full-time job um, working for Les Pau, which is a an organization that's affiliated with Harvard. And so I'll be staying here. I'll get all the benefits. And um, I'm excited to do that because it's kind of, um, it's in the area of the admissions officer. So I'll be helping Latin American students get into schools here in California and Boston. And so that's exciting because it's a new area. But a lot of the, um, when I was going through the interview process, a lot of the um, skills that I expressed that could be transferred over uh, were like listening and like um, being prompt and responding to emails and just like being being behind the scenes but working directly with the students via email so I'll have like I'll be able to do that um, which I'm excited for and um, yeah I'm still trying to figure out what that will mean once I start just because I'm still studying for the GRE which takes up a lot of my time I'm also working with this immigration initiative which um, I literally just started and now I have to modify my schedule so that I'm able to do both um, and so that and also being interested in attending all these events that are coming up because the new school year started so there's a lot going on at the different schools at Harvard and throughout Boston and so yeah so I'm also part of this fellowship so I'm supposed to be meeting with um, this group of Latinos different different um, what is it ethnic groups within the Latino community so like there's nationality huh nationalities I guess nationalities so there's like people from the Dominican Republic or Puerto Ricans um uh, Salvadorians and a few Mexican so it's um, so that's interesting I've been a part of this uh, similar group before um, in San Francisco and so this is interesting there's a twist you know with regards to the nationalities and where people come from and yes it's education but it's different areas of education um, so that's interesting um, so yeah so it's a lot but I'm juggling right now and excited and I know it's going to be a lot of work. Um, so I definitely am enjoying my days off. So yesterday I did nothing. <laughs> Literally, I just like took a break because I know I'm not going to be able to do that a lot um, moving forward as I, as I get closer to my deadlines. Um, so that was my form of self-care, just kind of take a day to debrief from all the happenings yeah and everything that's like going on like uh, all the new transitions that you're 
starting and moving forward and like every single step of the way it just seems like we get sucked into like different responsibilities that require so much of our time yeah that we forget to make space for those times where we just get to rest yeah so I've been I haven't been hitting the gym as much because it's always like do I rest or do I like go to the gym and and get more tired um you know Mm -hmm. physically and I do feel the need to go like decompress physically but sometimes I'm like if I sacrifice that then I'll have less I don't know there's always a give and take kind of thing Um, but it's so good you know I wanted to work and I wanted to find something stable and you know it's all coming together it's just a matter of getting everything um, figured out balanced out so that I don't feel too um, burnt out but yeah, that's that's what's going on on my end since we last chatted, and um, yeah, it's 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 good, it's all good. What about you? Well, congratulations to the new position. Thanks. I know it's been a while since you've been like working so hard to like get applications and interviews, and that is a big toll. And there's like a part of you that's like the insecurity and like the uh, the unknown of like you don't know what your next step is. Yeah. Like, was scary for us it is true. Um, just because we're so used to like knowing in a year in advance of like what exactly we're going to be doing or at, at least have a, some sort of structure um and that space is like pretty uh uncomfortable mm-hmm. <laughs> so leaning towards uncomfort right and also uh, not realizing that it would take so long mm-hmm. I'm, I'm already an internal I was already an internal candidate and so even that you know took time like it wasn't like a quick shoe in kind of thing it was it took its time and apparently at orientation they'll tell us this I haven't gone yet but only two percent of the people who apply get a Harvard position or something like that so it's like very competitive and so yeah so yeah I'm uh, I don't know it's I'm glad that that's done because that was taking up a lot of my time too so now I know what's next now it's the time to, you know, what is it called? Um, work or, you know, produce. Get in. Yeah. <laughs> Go in and, and actually do the work. And so congratulations. Thanks. And hopefully by like next time we check in, you have some sort of insight of like, how does that feel now that you're like transitioning into that? So happy for you. Um, just because now from my own check in is like, I'm starting to look at those job positions that are coming in and what's open and trying to figure out where exactly I want to, uh, or I want to see myself for some period of time working Mm -hmm. in, um, in that community. Like it's now that I moved to Fresno, I am getting a sense of like, where do I see myself going in? And also like the community itself makes a huge difference as well. Like who you're involved in and not just the community outside of the university, but it's like within the university as well. Um, so I've been looking at different job openings, um, and it's like that first, that imposter, imposter syndrome of like saying, looking at all these like job responsibilities and, um, getting a taste of it a little bit. And you're just like, I don't want to do this amount of work. It's a lot. It's overwhelming. Um, you already see the burnt out, you know, and, but you also see the benefit of like going into coordinator positions or director positions. And so, um, I was speaking to one of my men- mentors and she was like, don't sell yourself short, you know, definitely shoot higher, you know, you can. Um, it's a matter of just like making sure that you write in your resume and your, you know, interviews reflects 
the actual potential that um, you do have mm-hmm. and that it's mm-hmm. translated and you make sure that you're in a position and it's pretty hard because it's like it takes the amount of like privilege to be able to wait that long um, so I don't know what is coming up so that's what I'm saying like now I'm going into like what you are going through mm-hmm. and so um, well I'll let you all know what <laughs> what ends up happening with this job search um, and I'm also excited because there's going to be a new work office space. I'm finally going to have an office, which feels so much like so much better in general, just because I've had a temporary office and I keep moving. So it's like very unfortunate for my students that I get to see because every single time that I see with them, it's always changing on like where we're meeting. Um, yeah. And I, it's imbalance because not all of the folders are already in the computer you know like all these things that are just like changing and moving and then I'm like I don't have it ready and set and so um it's unfortunate it does take a toll on on the workflow that I have and also like the service that the students are getting but um this past Friday I got to stay a little bit and work in the office that I'm going to go into so just settling in and like making sure that I get familiar with the space and I've noticed on notice, hopefully the move, the permanent move ends up happening potentially towards the end of October, but you know how these things go in higher ed Um, office moves and everything takes forever. Mm -hmm. So um, I might end up moving until like next semester, the seguro, you know, and so, oh, well, but little by little, um, hopefully we'll have our own center space. I mean, students are already asking, like, are we going to have a lounge? Are we going to have places where students can hang out? And I'm like, I I hope so. Um, and may, I might just not be a staff member then, you know, until that happens. And so um, hopefully there's someone who can take on that work and continue on. And I just noticed that um, – this past month because of how overwhelming the work of like school work was happening. I had a lot going on that I just was like getting less patience. <laughs> and so whenever I would meet with students, it was like, like at the end I felt so defeated. And then I'm like, this is a part where um, we have to rest because then for the, le- the, the people that we should give the most patience, we end up mm-hmm. not. Um, and then we, I've had a few cases of students where I'm like, damn it, like, why didn't you do this right? You know, like, why didn't you make the right decisions? Or why didn't you do this? And you start blaming the student to be like, completely transparent. Like, as, a, as advisors, we end up like getting fed up. And even to our students where we're like, we're not allowing them to make mistakes. And it's like, um, and then within our own conversations that we have with advisors, we just get so fed up. And then we're just like, and then we get we get in the judgmental you know stage because we're tired everything else isn't working and how I'm I'm mentioning like not having a permanent workspace like really takes a toll on like even your frustration of like the structure that in in the space that you're working in and so this past week um, I've just like reframed in the way that I see my work and I was just like you know what I need to have as much rest for myself so I can be fully present to those students and just give them the patience that they need because that's just one step, you know, into like not seeing the humanity of them. Like they should be allowed to make mistakes. And, you know, a lot of the times they're functioning in a survival mode um, and we're trying to get them to thriving mode. 
And that is not able, you're not able to get to that if you don't treat them with patience. So we had a really good conversation with um, my peer mentors and just letting them know, like, cause we're training them to learn uh, to teach students to renew their financial aid. And we were showing them like so many different ways of like how students, you know, may not renew them right or not put the right information in their financial aid application or even like the financial options that they have um, for renewing DACA, um, for any emergency funds or assistance that students need. And so one of my peer mentors was like, that exists. And I'm like, yeah, like these are the things that you're, you know, students have available. And it's just brought me a lot of like, just awareness of how many students don't get uh, there's like the lack of opportunities to guide more students through higher ed and knowing how to navigate all the resources and like get familiar with all these things and so it's just unfortunate that there's not enough people that are giving them that navigation tools that are like so needed and um, there's so much going on that like policy wise and resource wise that it's hard to just give all that information to students um and so little by little, I was like showing them the importance of emotional intelligence and emotional consciousness. And so I was just, get, we were just having a conversation about what it's like to be like so overwhelmed to the point that you start making like not the best and most informed decisions because you're, you're basing it off of fear. And so um, I think the things that I was talking to them are like clicking <laughs> And then they were like, oh, my gosh, you're right. You know, like we we just like don't make the best decisions just because we're just there's so much going on with life um, that sometimes I'm like, can I just have you sit here, breathe and then make those decisions? Because the students that they're meeting with, a lot of them have been going in and crying about a lot of personal hardships that they're going through. So that's when we were like, okay, for the month of November, we're definitely going to make a space to work with our freshmen, our first-time freshmen, about um, learning about mental health and personal wellness. And so um, those are, like, big, big conversations that we're going to have. And so – and I was just telling them, I'm like, just being able to have them have all these – all this like opportunity to be humans and, and to release all these emotions. And so unfortunately that I had these peer mentors in their last year of college as an undergrads, but really excited for them because now I am hoping that they're building stepping stones towards um, learning how to be advisors and, and work with other students that are going through the same things. Yeah. So there's just a few things that are happening and <laughs> some big, some big conversations happening at the office. And so that's why I'm like, I'm so excited that like that week I prioritized my mental health because or else I wouldn't have been able to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. That's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing. I'm so excited for you that you're, I mean, things are moving along and you're getting a new workspace, which will definitely make a difference with your overall advising work and interaction with students uh, once that's settled, that's settled down. But thankfully, the students have been working with you. So <laughs> props to them. I know. Um, and props to them, too, because they keep teaching me new things every single time of like what I need to do for them. And I was telling them that not many advisors end up being in tune with their own mm -hmm. students and meeting them with their aunt because we're so 
caught up with like I need you to be in this you know expectation and I need you to do it in this way and I'm and I have to remind them that I don't want to micromanage them I don't want to force my own or project them my own expectations that are unrealistic because it's not where they're at and they're also for them both of them they've never worked in this capacity in higher Mm -hmm. ed and so that's why I was like you know what just because it hasn't been done this way in higher ed doesn't mean that it can't be so let me give you all like the space to grow and and sometimes we might have to revisit back you know like some information because you didn't capture Mm -hmm. it the first time and so it's a I mean I'm like personally I we do need them to get on board really quickly but I know that that sometimes may not be possible. So I have to scale back and be like, you know what, if, if you don't know how to do this or whatever, just ask me, but I just hope that, you know, you feel comfortable learning as you go. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I'm excited for our next guest. Um, We have, um, we have someone very special (laughs) joining us today. (laughs) Um, And we will, I guess, um, I guess, provide more information as to why we decided to have this special guest join us today. Um, his name is Jaime Alejandro Barbosa. He uses the pronouns of he, him, his, él. And he is uh, the son of Rafael Veronica. He's a first-generation college student and immigrant from Jalisco, Mexico. He immigrated to the U.S. at the age of three and grew up in Napa, California. As a child of a vineyard field worker, Jaime grew up with the expectation to surpass the educational attainment of his dad, learn English, and not have have to work in the fields. Um, at the same time, as time went on, his dad's expectations changed and began to shift from individual improvement to the collective need for the family to move back to Mexico and to start his own business with the sons. After graduating from high school due to a lack of mentoring and guidance, Jaime decided to enroll at a community college. And after a year and a half, Jaime left to pursue a vocational program in automotive technology with California Smug Certificate. And Jaime worked for what felt like 10,000 years as an auto mechanic before realizing he wanted to go back to college. Jaime is currently pursuing a Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering. Whoa. Awesome. Well, welcome, Jaime. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so do you want to tell us how you know Patricia or one of you want to share about how you both met or anything that is relevant to us knowing the connection that you have to Chicana Code Switchers? Yeah, so I invited Jaime. Um, I knew him from forever. Um his dad and my dad were friends back in the days and they immigrated together and worked together and they actually lived together um, for some time. And so um, he's one of the, like Jaime's families is, was one of the few families that I knew that immigrated to the U S that kept going back and forth um, to Mexico during the holidays. And so currently his, he's my boyfriend. And so, uh, I wanted to bring, he, he's been a big, big supporter of the podcast from like before the podcast became a podcast. So um, he has like a great insight of like been listening to all the episodes and just gets the behind the scenes info también because, you know, he asked some questions. And so I wanted to bring him because um, 
I noticed a lot of higher ed podcasts were like bringing in a lot of PhDs, oh, um, big researchers and all these conversations of like, and I wanted to like have a conversation about like who gets invited into these spaces and how much like we're still perpetuating the idea that whoever has knowledge are just like these people who have PhDs or has knowledge or has these big titles within mm-hmm. higher ed. And I wanted to provide a space for someone who is currently at the community college um, and provide their insight of like what it's like, what it's been like to be in and out and been pushed out of uh, spaces in higher mm-hmm. ed and um, just get his insight of a lot of things, especially now that like, you know, dating someone who's in higher ed and working and then like getting all this like information. So I just wanted to like, have these conversations you're like so. his own personal <laughs> advisor i know <laughs> keep a tab this is because i am nervous <laughs> and yo nunca pensé que um i'd be on a podcast and uh, i really didn't think i had anything to say but now i mean now hearing a little bit more about and hearing what your podcast is about, I feel like it is a little bit more important for someone like me to say like what they have gone through or what they're going through currently. Mm-hmm. And just uh, so that somebody out there who, whoever it is that is probably going through something similar can just mm-hmm. relate and see that it's possible to get help and keep going on. Yeah. Do you want to share with us what your journey was like after high school? And Yeah. Um, so after high school, my journey uh, was a dead end, pretty much. Um, mm. After graduating, I really didn't have anything planned out because uh, before I graduated, my parents told me that there was no money for college. And uh, that was kind of hard for me. And so me uh, said the idea that... I wouldn't be going to college, but after uh, talking to a couple people, they told me, oh, just uh, a lot of people are going to the community college, so that should be your first step, and uh, that's exactly what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started at the community college, I think, in 2000, the fall of 2013, and it was something 2012 2012. and it was scary and it was something new for me and I really didn't know what I was doing I the first day I got sent to the advising department and I met with someone one of the counselors to just try to help me out see what my next steps were and uh, unfortunately they really didn't have and I, since I didn't have a plan, they didn't have a way to help me out. So mm-hmm. I pretty much for my first two years of, of college uh, didn't didn't really do anything that would help me transfer or get a degree. It was more like classes that were just listed on a piece of paper that told me I should be taking these because that's what the counseling department had told me so yeah it was it was pretty difficult and uh, I pretty much had no idea what I was gonna what I was gonna do can you speak a little bit about 
what um like your immigration experience is like and especially with this um, migrant communities like the um the expectation because you mentioned in your bio like the expectation within your family had changed as you grew up yeah so uh, something that happened to me i always had grown up with the idea that my my parents had uh, come to the united states so that i could have a better education um and they had always told me that it was so that i could pretty much outdo them or at least not have to break my back working at, at a job where I'd be making minimum pay. And uh, they really always talked about working harder than them and and smarter too. And uh, that was what I was focusing on for most of my life. But as time went on, uh, I guess my, my both my parents started realizing that they really wanted to go back to Mexico. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually it all instead of uh, motivating me and helping me through high school and through my time during the college they really like they just stepped aside and then just I was pretty much alone and since I was the pretty much the the only one that had ever taken the steps to going at least to the community college uh, I felt like I was on my own and with no help. So that really didn't help me out. Um, my my dad, I guess, uh, his idea had always been to go back because when he first came to the United States, he was alone. Uh, he was brought here by my, gran- my grandfather and he was put to work with the idea that one day he would go back and he would just make enough money to start a business. So I guess my dad wanted the same for us so when it came down to it, he really just wanted us to learn English and just be with him so he wouldn't have to spend so many years alone without his family, like so many families in Mexico have to when one of their one of one of the parents goes usually it's the father that goes to the United States and just sends money to their family. Um, my dad didn't want that for him, so he kind of helped everybody help my whole family uh become citizens through my grandfather had that had already um i want to say fought fought his way through citizenship so it wasn't the fact that we really had to the, the any issues with uh with uh immigration or anything like that will becoming citizens or anything it was more the fact that my my dad my grandfather already had uh done that yeah done that process so that my dad could come over and work um so when it came down to it I couldn't I couldn't go back to Mexico because I kind of feel like no soy de allí tampoco I I don't actually feel like I'm 100% from the United States either so I kind of I kind of was in the middle um but I I grew to love the United States, so that's that's where I decided to stay. Well, initially you wanted to stay in Mexico because yeah. of what your, like the vision of what your dad had. Um, that's something that you wanted to do. Yeah, that was something I wanted to do because I had no clue what I was doing, what 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 I wanted for my life. So, kind of mm-hmm. having someone plan out my life for me at the time felt like a good thing. So it, for for a time, I did want to go back to Mexico, 
but the more I realized it, I really I don't have anything, any connections other than my my parents. Um, I feel more comfortable living in the United States, and that's why um, I'm currently back in back at the the college trying to see, uh, trying to find my my how do you say my vocation my vocation yeah my vocation. <laughs> yeah yeah. So I guess for me, it's interesting to hear your story because it sounds like there was a lack of mentorship at the high school level. Like there was, I don't know what your high school um, senior class, how your counseling, counseling program and or counselors worked, but it sounds like you were one of those students that fell through the cracks. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And it was interesting because Jaime and I both talk about like what our because we went to the same high school um, uh -huh. and we didn't go to the same elementary school or middle school. But when we um, re like met again was until high school and Jaime and I were both in two different tracks. Like I was mm. the AP um, highly involved student who was in like sports and doing the most still doing the most <laughs> and then Jaime was you can explain like what yeah your so experience I, my experience was totally different because uh when I started high school because of mix-ups with uh, middle school uh counseling and departments um they kind of set me aside and put me on a lower mm -hmm. level of English so I I had to work twice as hard to get out of those classes when I really didn't need them and uh, that forced me to really uh, I kind of every year I felt like I was behind a school year and I was trying to catch up so every summer I remember uh, I would enroll in a program El Emigrante uh, at Finnish high school and they would actually go to the college Napa Valley College and they have like a summer school session where they would give you credit for classes that you missed kind of kind of like a summer school kind of thing and that's when I would try to catch up on my learning and I remember it that I never had a counselor ever call me up to the office or anything I I never went because I never I really I didn't really know the impact of a counselor in my life mm. or my my education So I never really thought of ever going, which is something I look back and I kind of wish that someone had told me or had gotten the courage of going and asking for myself. Or even approached you, like, because I mentioned to Jaime that in my AP classes, the counselor would go to our classes and let us know, hey, you should be enrolling in SATs here. I am. I'm here for this describe us like why should we go to her office and that she could even write us letters of recommendation mm. and then like to Jaime like that never was a thing yeah we when we when we talk about it and we look back it, I kind of do feel like I got a like a whole different experience of high school mm -hmm. and that's why in a, in a way I, I kind of did lose a little bit of like my push to uh just fight for a better education or or one I don't I didn't even I don't even have after high school like the like the, the initiative the initiative to want to go to to further 
into higher ed. It was more like I saw it as people wanted me to go. So that was the right thing to do mm-hmm. at the time. Or it was the thing that was like expected. The thing, you yeah. Know, like, it was pretty much If you're going to do anything in high school, at least go to the community college. Exactly. But no guidance of like what that would mean. Do you think it was because you were um, under the ESL or like English as a second language learner pathway that you were deemed not like eligible to go to a four-year institution or like you weren't even considered to be encouraged to go to a university straight out of high school? Um, I kind of uh, don't really know because I... I was really good. I, I mean, I always had problems with English, but not to uh, a level that would have prevented mm-hmm. me. I think it was or... also like the difference between like um, my my parents' involvement in like lo que me estaban like pushing my parents to do. Like as opposed to your parents, it was more like you could just do the minimum. Um, and if you did get involved, it was like no support. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that I did not. I really didn't have any support to do anything outside of uh, the basics. The basics, mm-hmm. because it was. It, it felt like it was a like sports and anything I, that would give me just something so that I could want to be uh, involved. Mm-hmm. Really wasn't available to me at the time. My parents didn't believe it was necessity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, better me, like, it was, like, even hard for me to, I mean, because naturally, for me, my personality has always been a big advocate, so, like, my parents the same way, they're, like, they saw extracurriculars, that's, like, va a costar dinero, so, like, you know, <laughs> like, it's, it's something that we shouldn't pursue, or my mom would be so mad, because both of our moms had the same thing, because they don't mm-hmm. like driving, so it was, like, always for me, having to work around with my family of like, okay, puedes, puedes recogerme. Like I had had to plan and be like, okay, I can, you know, double count this ride. If we go this and this and that, like you had to map it out for them mm-hmm. and give them this whole presentation proposal. Like, this is how I learned how to propose, you know, like <laughs> ideas and all that stuff. I'm like, because I had to do that with my parents to let them know, like, why was it important for me to be involved in this way? Mm-hmm. The difference was my parents saw that if, because I would let them know, I'm like, if I want to go to a UC, I have to show that I'm involved on campus. I have to look like I did some sports. And so for them, they're like, oh, okay, then fine, I'll take you. But with Jaime, it was a whole different hassle of, like, different things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So that's where it's, uh, the, like, big differences, <laughs> I see, like, within our families. Like, Iesuske, like, they're, and then talk to them about how, like, your mom would compare Yes. So growing up, it was always a comparison. Mm. My parents always like comparing um, my siblings and I to many of my relatives or friends. Um, and so growing up, I would always get compared to actually Betty <laughs> because, yeah, her they would always uh, hear from her mom say that, oh, Betty's doing this and that. And then my mom would always be like, why isn't my, my son doing the same? Aww. And so I would always get compared, but they would never see the, the other side where they were actually, her parents were actually allowing her to do a lot of different things that mm-hmm. I 
wasn't allowed to do. And it was just like a different environment for me. Yeah. And both of us were talking about like, like padres de familia, this is they have this set expectation, but they don't provide the resources and the guidance to follow mm -hmm. through. So like the comparison, like that happened all the time with my family. Like siempre nos comparaban like us with everybody else without realizing that in order for you to have a really focused, involved student, mm -hmm. Like, tú también tienes que provide it in an environment that that shows that focus. Because within my parents, like, we weren't, we would never go to, like, um, we weren't that, like, fiesteros, like some of my family members are. Like, they have a fiesta every single weekend or a family gathering or something. It first ends up being a small get-together and then it becomes a party um and things like that like we would I would tell them like no yo tengo mucha tarea like and they would be like okay like we'll stay here so you can finish your homework that always didn't translate always all the time but you know like they at least understood the importance of setting up an environment where you know you could end up doing your homework um and with you it was like yeah with me I don't think my parents ever realized um if I did, if I had homework or not, they really, um, most of the time didn't even, uh, whenever I needed help or something, they really, really didn't really have a way to help me. So they would just be, um, really the expectation that expectation you had to that, take the initiative. Yeah. That I had to take the initiative mm -hmm. and find out on my own pretty much. Yeah. And then, um, can you tell us, uh, within your first year of community college, you mentioned you experienced a lack of mentoring and guidance in high school. Um, so what did like that specifically mean to you? So there was the, the, the guidance. It felt like most of the time. So the, the guidance. Yeah, you really, I really now, now that I, um, I hear a lot of, I've, I've heard all the episodes of this podcast, <laughs> really, because <laughs> I am a big fan, and I really, like, am very interested in just hearing all the information you guys give, and most of the time, I, I'm just comparing my, my first time at the JC mm -hmm. with everything that, it, that you guys uh, say, that y'all say, and um, it's really different, the guidance I was getting the first two years was now I think is the minimum mm -hmm. I think now that I'm a, at the JC again and I'm and I have uh, a goal and I have I guess a sort of my path way sort of set up I kind of know how to get more help and and there, look for more guidance but I don't feel like someone that doesn't know uh, they're, what they're doing the next steps or anything about higher mm -hmm. ed uh is able to find that like the like the resources needed for them to do that and especially because um a lot of the times and i've mentioned this before where it's like higher ed expects and loves students that already have the initiative the drive understand in and out of higher ed and then they claim that oh it was uh, my work of like guiding the student without realizing that a real advisor knows how to guide a student who has no clue of where to start. And that is the work that we should be doing. And, and the fact that a lot of higher ed people were able to understand the needs 
and understand what it's what it's like to work with someone who has like who can't um rely on parents guiding them through this the process because although my parents were in some ways involved like ellos tampoco sabían a lot of what higher ed was either um but the difference was i did have the support of them telling me pues si no sabes go pregunta mm -hmm. you know like that is a huge you know in itself a good skill to have that not everyone um gets pushed and feels assertive enough to go and ask for that help yeah um that's something I clearly see. Um, I used to be super shy, so I still shy. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm coming out <laughs> more of, of my shell. But uh, in the beginning, I really had it. It was like it's when you're shy, it's super hard to even ask mm -hmm. when you have a question in class. Mm -hmm. So to have to go and look around for, um, let's say you need you need some advising and you want to just walking and and and. And making an appointment yeah. with an advisor, that is so difficult. Mm -hmm. And there's so many people that that go through that. And it's uh, important for them to also have a, or at least understand that there is people like that, mm -hmm. like like I am. And that sometimes people have to reach out for them, not, not necessarily they have to go and, and try to look for it themselves. Yeah, I, I think I what I'm hearing a lot is the that I hear the link between the advisor and the student knowing what to do with each other, um, yeah. and how to respond mm -hmm. to each other's maybe lack of initiative. Because for example, if the advisor is seeing a student like you, um, who may not be aware of what types of questions to ask or how to ask for support, um, then it's up to the advisor to prompt those conversations, ask those qu the questions you're not asking because you don't know and that was the work that I did at Sonoma State it was like connecting with the first generation students because I knew what that was like you know and and like what you were saying you're shy and it takes a lot for you to reach out or to like ask that question or raise your hand so it's up to the advisor to create that that atmosphere of comfort or if you see someone who looks like you you're you're, you're you I want to say from personal experience you become at ease mm -hmm. You know, you're able to maybe have a conversation in Spanish or maybe have a conversation about something else and then and then slowly have the courage build up to ask that like one question yeah. you were asking. So and for you, I mean, as a student coming in, it's like if you don't have those connections or that representation, then it's harder, you know, especially if you're like talking to, you know, let's say we're it's a POC male and you're talking to a white woman, it's like usually if they don't or they're not culturally competent they're not going to pick up on the nuances of what you're trying to ask or what you're trying to do or, or that you don't you know, know or what you're not saying yeah, or what you don't know because mm -hmm. in this past advising campaign when i've been meeting with a lot of transfers and most of them are actual latino males um sometimes uh the majority in the hard sciences and stem and so and i'm like oh that's you jaime <laughs> and so um being able to like understand like how you see the world and like what it, it was like for you to navigate high school or, or just K through 12 system. And then the fact that now they're transferred um, is important for me because then I can give them at ease of like, you don't have to like within my office, you don't have to know everything. 
Um, and you can actually explain. And so for me, I, this is, I, I went to Jaime and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired of like saying the same thing because I'm like, you know, like the, the appointments are very repetitive. And for me, I'm like, oh my gosh, like mm-hmm. I just would wonder what it was like if you, if we didn't have this consciousness and this, this importance of us actually going through step-by-step with the student if I just had like students who just knew you know like the 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 privileged folks and just claim for me like others I've seen that are like oh he said todo esto and I'm such a great advisor you know and you know (laughs) but Jaime always reminds me like well then that that wouldn't really be the work that you wanted to do in the first place you know and then I'm like yeah Yeah. you're right and so um this past week and actually I called a student because I started seeing that not a lot of transfers were coming into our appointments and so I started calling them I'm like you know what well you know let me maybe they don't know how to use the software system right to make the appointment and one of them specifically mentioned he's like I'm so glad that you called because I wouldn't have come and I wouldn't have known what to ask and there's just this this, like fear and I'm like oh this isn't a test so you you know like you don't have to know everything and and there's just this hyper anxiety of around of like looking dumb or not knowing the right questions and when I told them that you don't have to come prepared I mean you should come prepared in general as a student but how do you know what to prepare for if we haven't guided you of what exactly should you be working on and so there was this anxiety also of meeting a career uh, advisor and I'm like oh just to put you at ease this staff member has worked with us. He's been in a docu-ally. Like, you have to, like, tell them, like, a scenario what to expect within that meeting so there's less anxiety and also for them to know that they don't have to have everything prepared because it's not a test. Right. You know, they're there to help guide you from the ground up of what exactly is that they need mm-hmm. from you. Yeah, yeah, Exactly. Um, so I guess, I mean, that leads me to my next question on like, what was it like, or how did you end up doing vocational school? I'm, I'm thinking that it was based on our, on what you've shared and like, based on like usually Latino parents expectations of like getting, getting to a program that will get you in and out in a short period of time and give you, make, help you make the most money. Exactly. But, but you share what you, what you experience and how you ended up taking that track versus continuing on to the four-year university transfer. Yeah. Uh, so while I was at the community college, it was a lot of expectation that I should be done already. So mm-hmm. even, even my parents, they had the expectation that why, why aren't you done yet? You've already been there for so long. And it, it it gets to you and you're like, why, why, why am I taking so long? Mm-hmm. Or, and then in my case, I was, mm-hmm. I still didn't know what I, what, what vocation, what route I wanted to take. And so at a point, someone introduced me to um, Universal Institute of, of Technology, which is UTI. It's not an automotive uh, mechanic school in Sacramento. And I just began researching it, it and they said it was a program, a year and two months program and you'd be out and working and they promised you'd have a job out, out coming out of, of, of uh, graduation. Yeah. yeah. So that sounded like a perfect opportunity. And after a little bit of a conversation with my parents, they actually thought it was like perfect for me. 
and a, a big opportunity. And that's what I, they really thought that was what I should have done from the get go. And that's how I got to the vocational school. Um, but it's actually very different. Vocational schools, they're, I mean, they're not bad, but they're not for everybody. Um, that type of school that I went to was really eager to get people without uh, even, so they would really pretty much play it so that you'd want to go with them without even an interest. And that's kind of what happened with me. I, I kind of didn't have an interest in mechanics, but I went there because of the promises they made and because I was just really confused with how higher ed was uh, working out for me. So that's how I got to the vocational school. Um, after graduating, um, I actually did not find a job right away. It took me quite a while. Um, and the job that I did get was not what they had promised. They had promised something uh, something where I would f at least make more than than I did when I, when I got out. Um, what exactly were the numbers? <laughs> you want to know the numbers? I want to know the numbers of what they promised. They actually promised I'd be making $60,000 just coming out of, 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 of the school. And then huh. uh, as I got more experience... I'd be making more. And I really didn't even get to half of that number. Yeah. Yeah. And that's usually what like vocational schools like that do. It's they're for profit in um, schools. And they also, you also make it um, as easy for the applicant to like what you said, want to go there. Um, because if you notice, they don't. They, I don't think they asked you for SAT scores or anything. They almost say like you don't have to take a test or anything. You can just like sign up and come. And and that's you. That's what that's their goal is to get as many students in and make money off of them. And and then and that's why they're short. It's like they're enticing. And then you mentioned that the structure is very different. So you yeah. Start, like, so the structure is very different. You have like uh, a dozen classes. Um, each is a month long and uh, they make it so easy that even if you try your hardest to fail the class you pass and you get sent to the next one so once you come out of of uh, from graduating you get a job you're not really prepared because you even if you didn't let's say you didn't really uh, pay attention and you and or you really didn't get a good grade will get a like what you would think would be a good grade um you don't you don't know you're clueless and so you that's how um i see I'm, i see most of the time like a lot of young mechanics that really don't know <laughs> what they're doing because they really didn't pay attention or it, it's not the system's not meant for them to be a professional um working on the car it's more like they kind of rolled through the class and and graduated and now the next step is your job and whatever you learned is what you learned and whatever you didn't you didn't and it's, it's up to mm -hmm. you now mm -hmm. and I mean how was it paying for it because I know they're expensive program yes so I had to take my own loan plus a parent loan no. that I that my parents had to sign for which surprisingly they were okay with because they saw it as an opportunity 
with their with their goals and now looking back I actually look back on that and I and I think that was a mistake yeah and then talk about like because you're you're not the first in the family you're not the oldest yeah I'm not the oldest Mm -hmm. so my older brother he really didn't he graduated high school he from the get-go said no I don't want to continue my education so he uh started working with my dad and my dad works at uh in the fields he works for a a big winery and uh that's how he kept going on and i actually got once my brother did that my dad saw like he saw it as you should not be i don't want both my sons in the same direction you should find your own direction. And so that's why he was kind of glad that I was going into the automotive industry. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And so um, what happened after you finished vocational school? After vocational because school? Because you enrolled, um, it, it was like about a year and a half that you were doing classes at the community college and then you stopped going to classes and started your vocational school. Yeah. So after vocational school, I, it took me quite a long time, uh, half a year to find a job. And once I did, it wasn't what I thought I was, I was going to be doing. Uh, mostly little, little work, getting close to minimum wage. And I, I, I actually was, I had like, I was skillful at uh, doing a lot of the work. So I slowly uh, did go, go up and I actually did get the ranking of being a mechanic, but it was really, it cost me a lot and a lot of stress and time. And, and after a lot of thought, I realized it wasn't for me. And so I decided to go back to college and, and actually find something that I really enjoy doing. So um, what? how did that process go for, like, your thinking process of going back to the community college? Going back was really tough because I had already bills I was going to pay, and I was worried what was going to happen. Because my parents, they, once I graduated, I was a completely different person aside from them. I was still part of the family, but I was on my own. I have my own bills, my own things I have to worry about. And so after after thinking about it, I was worried that I wasn't going to be able to both work and go to college. And it was it was really a big a big uh risk. a big risk for me because I really was worried and and it just really stressed me out. And I had a I had a lot to work out before I made the the choice to go mm-hmm. back, but I'm glad I actually did. Yeah, I mean, is and, that how you discovered um, electrical engineering? Uh, electrical engineering was something I, from the high school level, um, I have really discovered when I when I took a class for environmental mm-hmm. science and. It was a class that out of nowhere it popped up and I was I just thought about it. Oh, let me just take this class because I, I feel like it's something I, I would like to do. And I took it and I had fun in the class. And after that, 
I never really thought about it again until after, um, after everything I went through. Um, because, and this is the part that's really interesting about Jaime's life is that, like, your parents weren't really supportive of you creating your own path within the community college and then transferring. But once you decided to do vocational training and something that they were familiar with, with like your dad, like mechanic school, um, because your dad was thinking about creating your own business, like becoming a mechanic. Yeah. So like the family would go back and then you and your younger brother would go in and work. Yeah. Uh, at a, like the, like a taller. Yeah. Like on yourself. And then like, that's how you would survive and work in, in Mexico. Yeah. My dad, since he is close to retirement, he thought, <laughs> let let me take my sons back and so I could get to see them every day and he kept on encouraging me to open my own shop my, my own mechanic shop in Mexico mi taller, and just do my own thing start my own business he was really eager for me to do that he made it so he even tried to tempt me into doing that for the longest time but I really had no no real passion for it and then I asked you, like, is this something that you really like and you enjoy? And that was when you said kind of. And then you started really exploring, yeah. like, is there, like, other art alternatives that I could do or other things that I could pursue? Yeah. Um, so I really had to think. I thought, if I'm going back to higher ed, I have to at least have something in mind, which is what I want to do with my life. So I really even started analyzing every class I ever took in at the college the first year, the first years I was there, um, my high school classes, um, what I what I had liked when I was at vocational school, like what I learned, what I had, what I really was inspired with, and in the end, I really was inspired with working with uh, renewable energy, and so that's what I'm really looking forward to. And that's what led me to, to try to get to try to get an, uh, to try to go into electrical engineering. That sounds like a good plan. I think yeah. all in all, like nothing was lost. Um, I think there was a lot of learnings that you had to do on your own because you didn't have that support, and a lot of like listening to our parents. Right? Like I know that my dad had the same idea with me, like wanting me to pursue business. So. And when I told him I was pursuing English, he's like, oh, great, because then you can teach English, you know, like <laughs> English, have, open your own private practice and teach English. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. But he didn't realize, and I didn't tell him, that, <laughs> that what I was doing was English literature, not English as a second language, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I, I appreciate where parents are coming from. You know, our parents yeah. are like looking out for well-being and something that it'll that will sustain us no matter what and no matter where we are in life, like where we uh, end up in, should it be here in the U.S. or in Mexico? But I think it's an old traditional way of thinking. Um, and those expectations are then imposed on you. And then you're confused, right? You're like trying to like find your yeah. own passion and also like fulfill their uh, desires because, you know, you respect them and love them and you know that they want the, what's best for you. But at the same time, you know, like, it's like, what do you want to do in the end? Because it's, you're going to be the one doing this, right? Like forever or for however long you want. So you want to make sure that it's something that you're passionate about, that it's something that fulfills you. And you know what that feels like now that you've 
been able to look back into your life and like see the different instances when you were like most happy when you felt the most interested and that was a good assessment of like okay what is it that drives me what is it that excited me because you know when it gets challenging that is what's going to keep you going you know exactly yeah and that's like a lot of the mentality that happens within like our our the men in like our family circles it's like this men like group mentality Mm -hmm. as opposed to looking that every single one of you has like their own passions and their own interests that doesn't have to be within the group because there's security in Mm -hmm. that group Uh, there's protection in that group Um, and you have just one person deciding everything for you as opposed to you going out of the scary risk thing of going out who knows how they're gonna judge you how they're gonna think about you and then pursue your own thing within the unknown Mm -hmm. Which is so interesting because for us, mujeres, <laughs> like we are just thrown out into the wall yeah. from day one. And our, but with the difference is that we're taught to take those risks because the other alternative is like terrible. <laughs> but with you all, like it's like the the they paint it as a good thing, you know, to stay in that circle, to stay in that whatever, like the big you know like for this for for your life it's your dad like it's a good thing and then for us we're like every single way in their family we're like nope nope it's like bad for us it's it's there's yeah. no other alternative the alternative is marrying someone and being stuck there you know or if you are still married and then like doing it but you somehow some find like agency within higher ed Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what I was gonna say. It's interesting that your parents were encouraging you to pursue higher ed and like were involved and 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 encouraged you to do it because you, Patricia, because you, uh, because they were informed, right? They were like listening and, but yeah. and then it's it's also different because we all are mujeres, mm-hmm. like all my sisters, like all of us in some way or another, like. Um, my dad was like, quiero que se superen. Mm-hmm. Although I must say, you know, like it's complex in the way that they give yeah. support, though, because they're supported to an extent until like you are now doing things that don't collectively help yeah. or collectively are involved within the mm-hmm. family. Unit. And that's what I'm going to say, um, you know. Mm-hmm. And so like now that I'm like doing my own things and stuff like that, they have all sorts of feelings about like what is Patti going to end up doing in the long run, you know, that may not include mm-hmm. us. And so, which is a really hard balance, right? For both of us is like, how do you balance? Because the expectation and the guilt is always like family unit collectiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so hard because you're just like trying to also as mujeres, like step away from that guilt of having to always include family mom dad I still love you you know (laughs) but you know and and the the way that I love you shows very differently Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah I mean I think this is how we started like the whole season was talking about these differences about the type of support that either our male peers would get or our male siblings would get versus us right like this is what prompted us to have this like podcast because it's like we've noticed a different upbringings a different type of encouragement and fortunately for us like at least for me, I can say that my parents kind of like gave up on, not gave up on me, but gave up on trying to get me 
to follow, yeah, to conform, <laughs> because they saw that in some way it worked out. Like even though I wasn't technically doing what they were, what they envisioned for me, in the end they saw that there were results and that there were praises and that there were recognitions and that I was moving up, even if it's like at a slower pace than they would have wanted me to be settled down by. Um, I think they see that there's momentum going and that the results will be a little bit more permanent and long-term, you know, like it, it's yeah. still fulfilling that kind of requirement that you said about like not working as hard as them, not breaking our backs and making more than minimum wage. So like in some mm-hmm. way, like, even the, this role, it's like, oh, I'm sitting in an office and I have my lunch and I have my breaks and I have the benefits and I get to have fun and enjoy and travel. You know, like for them, that's success. Like for them, that translates to, you know, the, we, the made tech, it. we made it the American dream kind of thing. That's better than what they had to do to make it in this country, yeah. you know? And also to think about like, because both of us are one of the very few, like, who immigrated from the same town. So for a little bit of context was um, his dad and my dad came from the same town in Michoacan uh, with my mom, too. Like, they're from the same town. And then they both, uh, my dad and, and Jaime's dad, immigrated to, um, migrated to Jalisco. And so there's this one section in the town where it's like Los Michoacanos, which I actually didn't even realize and knew um, that that was a thing. We're called Los Michoacanos okay. uh, within Jalisco. And so, uh, and then from that town, a bunch of families moved all the way to Napa. Mm. Um, so there's there's a lot of us that are living around um, each other. And Jaime's family and my family are one of the few that I know that keep going back to Mexico. Um, because both Jaime and I were at the same age, um, about the same age that we when we came here to the U.S. Um, Jaime came, you came in first. Yeah. Your family came uh, came together, um, but my family came in a little bit later. And um, growing up and going back to Mexico every single December, I was one of the very few um, like children of those first ones that came in and stayed here. Uh, that went to higher ed and so that was like something that was hard because you were still expected to go and travel and then do all this homework stuff during that time and so um, I wanted to ask you like what is it what has it been to be the only one in your family and friend circles that not only is going to pursue a degree or going back back again to um, finish a degree um, and also who is in, invested in uh, social justice topics. Okay, so. No pressure. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, what did you ask? <laughs> can you repeat that question? Yeah, can you can, can no. I, do, do you want me to? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so what has it been like to be one of um, the only ones in your family and friends circles that has not only wanted to pursue a degree but has gone back for one and is has also invested in social justice topics okay so it's actually been pretty hard um because i usually growing up i've always had a older sibling or a cousin or somebody that i could uh actually uh, see the like have as an example and just uh find my own way but by 
looking at others. That's the main way I've learned my whole life is through other people's, how other people have their actions, what they have done. And now um, I'm kind of forced to learn in a new way where I have to um, set my own goals, try to look for my own, my own, uh, I guess, interests interests um that's one of the biggest things i've been working on right now which is learning to switch my mind uh into um my my education because i've i've already my mind has already focused on making money and living my life and now i i've have to completely (laughs) switch that i that idea now i i I have to think about oh do I do I have time to do this because I I have to do my homework or I have to set up my whole schedule now it's it's like a whole different you have to sit down and I have reflect. to sit down and reflect what I'm <laughs> gonna do next because it's 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 something difficult and a lot of people don't understand that if you're not if your mind's not into that if your mind's not set up like that you have a hard time um, just through any of your classes and then the fact that it's like you're not working with your hands you're working with your mind yeah so yeah I was already used to um just focusing on working and working and and now it's it's still working but it's it's a different type and it's a pressure of also having been pressured to provide yeah you know and now that you can't because you have to sit and and pay a bunch of your educational expenses it's like you're not as capable of providing yeah financial aid has been one of the hardest topics for me at at the moment because everything has been coming out of my pocket and i still have things i have to work out in the future but so far i am pretty much all on my own um mm-hmm. and within, that, your, within your within family. within my family yeah and that was another thing I had to think about before yeah. going heading back was what how am I gonna keep sustain going? yeah sustain my, my myself yeah and uh, something I wanted because social justice has been a topic I've always been interested in about um I really believe strongly that we really do if you if you're able to make a difference you should make a difference and I've kind of been avoiding that for the longest time because I never was in, I've always liked it, but I've always been on the side where I don't think I'm, 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 I'm prepared to help anybody else when I can't, I can't um, help myself. But uh, that's mm. also something that uh, just, just being in, in higher ed has showed me. And, and also by just hearing both of you on your podcast that you don't it doesn't matter how how ready you are how ready others like others around you are if you have a a passion or if you believe that you can help somebody you really can and you just gotta go with go with your gut sometimes yeah and that leads us to our last question about podcasts um so Jaime you've been a great supporter and follower of this podcast and before even like how I mentioned even before the episode because I I mentioned to you that I'm like oh I've been wanting to do a podcast and you're like do it you know and 
ni sabía lo que I was going to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Um, the episode was released. So, like, uh, what has it been? What are some been some key takeaways or things that you it's, you know, you know, stuck with you about the things that we've discussed so far in this in this podcast? Um, okay, so the <laughs> so there's been a lot, um, but I feel like first of all, I just need to say that I feel like I know more. I get to see like the behind the scenes of what because you talk to me all the time, but sometimes you leave some key points <laughs> out because I don't know if you just don't need them necessary or something. But then I uh, I'm listening to the podcast. I'm like, oh wow, I didn't know that. So I'm just getting like a different like side. <laughs> And you get to hear more yeah, about I get to me. hear more about you. Yeah, and and it's been really interesting because it's been like a really great experience like recording with other people because sometimes I'm like I'm so involved with this work that I forget like how you're saying like no te digo like certain things because it's like for me it's like oh this is what I do, you know, so it's hard to explain like what exactly you do because I do so much. Yeah. And so this is like a really great like opportunity for you to even get to know me in a different level. Yeah. And I also kind of feel like I know you. <laughs> oh gosh! Yeah, because uh, just in many different podcasts, I've been hearing like you, like you said, your parents. I I heard a little bit about your parents and how they really didn't mm-hmm. didn't you weren't really seeing eye to eye, and you had a different different ideas of how mm-hmm. you wanted your life to come out. And so I kind of feel like I know a little bit more about you. We had already met <laughs> previous to this. But we did. <laughs> but now I feel like I know a little bit more. Um, I was all for the podcast even before I knew what it was about because, um, I had already been following a couple YouTube podcasts. Um, they weren't necessarily on the same topics, but I've always seen how how really like amazing they are in in just letting you be real and just letting people hear like the real side instead of like oh it's just scripted mm. and yeah. um i kind of felt like she was gonna make a great podcast uh, from the start well both of you make a great podcast <laughs> and um i was really thrilled when she said it and i i kind of from the from day one i kind of wanted to help out in some way and so whenever oh. whenever i can i try to <laughs> just help out whenever however yeah, you're, yeah. you're a Patreon you contributor. <laughs> yeah, at the moment. I, uh When yeah, no. when you came out with the Patreon, I was like, I, uh, I'm in a struggle right now because I don't, I can't really <laughs> afford any like big expenses or anything. But I can give a little bit, a little bit, the little things that are that count. I believe that if everybody just helps out in a little, in the littlest way, it doesn't matter how much or how little, it just helps. And 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 I'm glad that you guys made this podcast you all, you all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's been really interesting because like um Jaime for a while from this first season I asked him I'm like Jaime like I really want you to be on this like a podcast episode because how I mentioned before in this podcast like I like to invite you know people that are close to me and like projects that I'm working on and he was like, no, 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 I don't have anything to contribute, like all these things. And so the second time I asked him, he actually was like, okay, you know what, I'm gonna do this. And so just really grateful that you decided to join us. (laughs) 
and you've you know kept us um in check right because we are so used to doing this work like patricia said um some like the nuances of like language is important defining terms is important because not everyone is in this um academic world so it's definitely important for our listeners to understand what we're talking about um because we're just so used to it it just like it has become second nature and like what you were saying about like retraining your brain yeah. right to like that's part of it too it's part of the code switching and making it accessible for people to like understand and 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 um um i process what we're sharing right because that's what that's the main our main purpose is to yeah. make this accessible and encouraging others to go through the process without making it more complicated and also to think about like that when we're involved in the circles because you know like me reflecting on both of our life journeys like i'm like knowledge and all these resources and stuff gets stuck with the same group of people and so when i was in the ap honors track like toda this information it was stuck there and i because of most of my friends were not in the ap honors track i mean not only was it lonely but it was like also me sharing out to them like hey by the way like you need to do the sats like I just became naturally an advisor and mentor for everyone. Um, and so it was like interesting. And and this is a podcast where I wanted to provide that information where you get that insight of like Ariana and I's experience working in higher ed. But I also wanted to bring, a, you know, someone who doesn't like have a higher ed role um, in a sense that in the way in the capacity that we have but has so much greatness to contribute and your experience is something that can teach others of not only how to mentor young men of color in the process and the pine blood but like what is your relationship and all these other things that we overlook the fact that you know vocational programs are targeting you all like in this way the fact that financially families aren't aware or not informed or don't have access to understanding how loans and all that stuff happen or financial aid mm -hmm. like all of these other layers that we're talking about that are like so important for us to uh, be conscious about and aware of because you know the way that I was raised as a woman of color is very different from you as mm -hmm. a man of color mm -hmm. yeah and that's one of the biggest things I've learned for, just from from listening to the podcast is been that higher ed is not a perfect system and it's not made for every individual So you kind of have to just look like for me, it just for me specifically, I've been every episode has been something like a new something new I've, I really didn't know about. And every time after I would really just compare like, oh, just bring it into my own life or should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? Or, wow, I didn't know that maybe I can change something so that it doesn't keep happening or I can help others so it's always it's, it's, it's nice to have a podcast like this one that really is just just meant to help others and that's pretty much the take I took mm, yeah. thank you what was your favorite episode my favorite episode was the one with Pablo because <laughs> he just He, I thought he was really mapping the cacassi, <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mapping your true path through yeah, the cacassi. Yeah, yeah. He really actually was. When I was listening to him, he was telling a story of, um, like it was like a trial and error, a kind of like, 
um pick, picking between two things and not knowing what you were doing what 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 which one was the right one and that kind of really hit me because I kind of was going through the same thing where I didn't know what I was I was doing and I had to pick and choose and I, my path right now and throughout my life has always been a mystery and he kind of showed in that episode that you don't have to have uh you don't have to know exactly your path you just got to have um i guess like just believe inside that it, whatever you choose uh is the good good path and if and if for some reason you don't like it there's always you could always change your life you don't always have to stick in a, it's not always like a straight line where whatever you did oh you're stuck there no you could always switch and go around or come back Everything. to something mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so th- that's why i really liked them in that in that podcast episode yeah well i mean just for listeners I'm, uh Jaime would be what we would call a non-traditional student right because you started out of high school um went to vocational school and are coming back to community college to then like go back into the four-year institution that you know like there's no right path like you said there's no the institutions weren't made for us and um it's never to start over you know um, yeah mm-hmm. and to also uh for us as higher ed um, professionals is like to also understand what it's like to advise students like your path and just so you know like I've actually met so many transfer students that are in the same boat that I'm like oh look you know like uh-huh. that's another you know Jaime <laughs> in the system you know that that that's what happened with him and they feel like I, I hope that us professionals we get to the point where the student feels like we already know them which we should because it, this is trend wise, like this isn't like something that only one individual is experiencing in a silos and, and by themselves, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's very much intentionally put that way for them to experience it like this. And so um, that is my hope that, you know, like other people, other Latinos, other men of color who are going through the same thing, I hope they have like the courage to also, you know, go back and go to somewhere where it, there's even more unknowns because, I work with so many of color that don't have never been in the situation where they had to take onus of their own and have own agency of their own path where it doesn't look like the other men in their lives. Um, And that's something that is really hard because higher ed makes you confront your uh, mental health issues, your relationships within your family, your relationships with everyone. And and also, most importantly, the relationship with yourself. Like there's so many men of color going through depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And if we, you know, a lot of higher ed professionals are so scared of like just being, we have all the answers and we understand why we're having these issues. We just may not have the language and also confront the fact that we do need to provide an intersectional feminist perspective in helping these men of color Mm -hmm. like we're so afraid of men of color showing their emotions and validating that I have to like straight up tell students I'm like you're going through depression and then it's like it's if it's the first time that they're hearing it from someone but in that shouldn't be a scary thing or something like embarrassing because a lot of professionals don't actually mention that to men of color that they're depressed because they feel like they're going to get upset or whatever and actually no, like it's not going to drive any disconnection and actually brings a lot of connection Mm -hmm. with those students because they're hoping that someone sees that in them and that that brings a lot of connection because now they understand why they're feeling that way Mm -hmm. and it's not an internal failure or they see themselves as failures but 
to have like emotional intelligence, emotional consciousness and, and feel all the varieties of emotions that they're allowed to feel, you know, because of, you know, machismo uh, that happens and the patriarchy doesn't allow them. And I'm like, higher ed pushes you to other levels that you didn't even know, you know? (laughs) And so it's important that a lot of the residues of a lot of feelings come up and get resolved through the process. Yeah. And that's a good point. Cause I remember like every year I had to pay like the student health fee. Yes. And I never, I'm like, I'm paying this money and I don't even use any of the resources. Like that was my response. Like, Oh my gosh, I'm just paying all this money. Which is but unfortunate I, that we even have that mentality, right? That we're losing money. This is exactly the same yeah. conversation I have with my peer mentor. I'm like, we shouldn't use, we sh- I wish that we would get to that point where we didn't have to think about the money that we're losing, but more like use the service regardless if we're paying or not or if it's going to get paid or or if it's coming out of our pocket like just use the service right and that's what I was going to say I never Mm -hmm. understood what that meant what did student health serve like the student health service fee cover like I didn't know that that included like you know counseling and psychological services like yeah throughout for the four years that I was in undergrad I never used them and I also and I also had to teach the student I'm like well um, in real life, you know, like when you're, when you're not a student, like as an adult, if you have insurance, they may cost even up to a hundred, two hundred, three hundred dollars, depending on who you're seeing, if they accept your insurance or if it's all out of pocket. And I was telling him, I'm like, and that's just one hour session, you know, ECS, okay, like it's a good match with the count with a therapist or a counselor mm-hmm. or whatever. And, you know, talking therapy is just one version of therapy that is out there. Um, but all this awareness and stuff like that comes with a lot of access to information. And I was telling him that that's why a lot of our family members, you know, like within our, our communities, uh, think that therapy doesn't work. But I'm like, well, yes, it doesn't work because, you know, you know, usually therapists don't function with a race conscious, you know, um, socially justice concept consciousness of how to deal with communities of color in our in our health challenges but mm-hmm. um on top of that like you also have to find the right fit for you and what you want to talk about and a lot it's a process it doesn't get solved with one session you know and the first mm-hmm. session is usually you know just trying to find out like if it's a right fit or not it's not really a, a session session and so um those are some of the challenges that we have within all the late multi-layered uh challenges that we see with um a lot of men of color and our communities of color yeah okay so we want to transition into our announcements so ariana take it away and um we have also received confirmation from one of our uh previous podcast uh guests and that'll be a surprise i guess um that (laughs) she'll be providing a webinar series dedicated to talk about research series so that is in the future yeah we had a guest um in one of our webinars asking like how do you create you know opportunities for research you can also ask like what is research especially if you're in the long term deciding to go into a phd program that would be a really great information session uh we are anticipating this webinar series for research um november the month of november of 2019 Yes. And so this concludes basically the end of season two. That went by really fast. Um, 
we're taking a little break and we'll return in January 2020. Um, Patricia and I will be taking a small hiatus because one, I'm uh, like I shared, starting a new job and finishing off PhD program applications. Um, and Patricia will be finishing her thesis and what? First semester, semester of your second I'm trying to graduate, year? y'all. <laughs> and I'm doing this the is- most. So that's why it would be a really good time to just take some time off and also really prepare for our next season. Um, mm-hmm. We're also doing these webinars. And so there's a lot still going on and we'll still be active. But um, what we want to do is just uh, really prepare some time to dedicate you know, setting up our guest line, um, making sure that we also have, you know, we stay hydrated and, and asleep and ready to make really good, you know, episodes. Yes. So 2020 should be season three. Um, and so, yeah, so that's just, uh, we're not leaving forever. We're just taking a small break because, um, you know, Rest but you're needed. always, yes. And you're always welcome to listen to the previous episodes again. Yeah, share with friends. And the last thing that we have is our POC business shout out. Yes, so Resumes by Laura um, is an empowering, supporting, and uplifting previously in our current incarcerated folks, people of color, and those wanting to accomplish their dreams through resume services and education. Um, resumes by Laura, Laura uh, was... Um, it's either Lara, Lara, I'm not sure if we're pronouncing Lara. it right. <laughs> Um, but this is a service that um, from the written from the website. So it was founded during their undergraduate career at UC Berkeley because they wanted to help solve this matter. They also realized how critical a first impression is and how many people are not granted equal access to education to learn how to showcase their best qualities, life experiences and unique selves. And in addition, the majority of people don't feel as though they've accomplished much in life, but that is far from the truth. Um, they deeply dive into their story to pull out experiences, skills, and talents that they, that people may not have thought about before. And um, Resumes by Lada, design your new resume in a way that grabs the attention of your future employer. So they encourage you to connect and get you uh, and to get you where you want to be in life, so that you deserve and where you deserve to be in life. Find her. Uh, find their. Um resumes at on instagram at resume by lara or um www.resumesbylara.com um and check them out all of this information will be in the caption of the um episode but as we conclude and um provide you that information we want to thank jaime so much for um Joining us today, Jaime, thank you. Uh, we appreciated all the insight. You definitely have a lot to contribute and know that you're not the only one. And I'm excited to see what you will be providing. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you both for bringing me on. I was actually very excited to be on. And I just hope I get to see what's to come for, for both of you. <laughs> thank you. And... Um, for all of our listeners, you can email us at chicanacodeswitchers at gmail.com and send us your POC business conference and event shout outs and listener letters. You could also record a listener message on the Anchor app, and that way we can include your recorded message in our future episodes. Follow us on Instagram, Chicano Code Switchers, and on Twitter at Xcode Switchers. If you want to support this podcast, 
you're welcome to Venmo or Cash App us at Chicana Code Switchers and or become a Patreon contributor like Jaime. <laughs> Thank you all for tuning in this week's episode and until the next year. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>